My name is Sarah Inglis, and I'm a certified integrative health coach. I help people thrive in their bodies and reclaim the health they've always wanted. Each week, I interview people who have a passion for health. You'll hear from health experts, farmers, herbalists, doctors, chefs, and many more. My hope is that they'll inspire us all to tune into our gut and notice how lifestyle and food impact us. Lauren is an award-winning inspirational speaker and transformational coach. As the founder and CEO of Soul Savvy, she works with organizations and individuals, helping them build their dreams, accelerate their results, and create richer, more fulfilling lives. Lauren has spent over a decade as an educator and coach. She started her career in California public schools, first as a teacher, then as a coach helping teachers to deliver the best instruction. Her ability to break down overarching spiritual and success concepts into bite-sized pieces is what makes her a standout in her field. Through her coaching and speaking, she has inspired tens of thousands of people to live a life they love. Out of 3,500 eligible coaches, she won the Outstanding Impact Award for 2021 from Brave Thinking Institute, recognizing her impact on clients and reach in the industry. She lives in Northwest Wyoming with her husband, Cameron, and three cats. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm really, really thrilled to be here. So let's just dive right in. When you suffered from your stomach and digestive issues, I think you told me beginning in high school, did anyone ever give you a diagnosis during that span of time about or guidance of how to heal or what the root cause of your symptoms were? You know, I had several diagnoses, actually. So the first time, you know, and what was really concerning about my stomach symptoms, and you're, maybe some of your listeners can relate to this, is it wasn't just the discomfort of like that indigestion, bloated, all of that, that when I would get the really severe stomach pain, I would actually faint, like I would pass out. And it was really scary. And um, now I have an understanding that there's some vagal nerve things that happen, especially when you panic and things like that with pain. But I didn't know that. And no one ever told me that throughout this whole thing. So when I was first went to the emergency room the first time, um, I was diagnosed with gastritis. And they told me to eat the brat diet, right? Bana- I think it's bananas, rice, applesauce, toast, or something like that. And that yet it kept happening. And then the second time it was like, oh, it's GERD. It's gastroenterological reflux disease or whatever. Okay. So then they gave me Nexium, the purple pill to take. And that didn't really help. And then um, it just kind of went on and on from there. Then it was, oh, it's irritable bowel syndrome. And at that point, they then gave me uh, some muscle relaxers and some different things as well. And uh, the list kind of went on. But the unintended consequence of all of that and being left with these, you know, a diagnosis after diagnosis with medicine that didn't really help was that it was the psychological effects of being afraid to pass out, being afraid I was going to be driving my car when it happened, being afraid to even go to school because I was embarrassed to have stomach issues as a young teenager and then beyond. And so there were a lot of social emotional impacts 
of having this that no one ever talks to me about. And in fairness to the health practitioners back then, because it's really pretty much in recent times that we really begun to understand the gut, emotional connection, or even how how intricate the gut microbiome really is. Yes, absolutely. And everybody in the situation does the best they can because it's one of those things where until you know it, you don't know it. <laughs> so, so you know, I saw, the other thing I thought was interesting, too, about that whole experience was I, I went on two routes, which we will, I'm sure, talk about. One was dealing with the social emotional, and then the other was dealing with the gut. And one of the things that I did for the gut was I just started doing my own research. And I know you can relate to that, Sarah. It's like, well, what can I eat that might help my stomach feel better? And what are some things that I tried everything? And I mean, it was actually in some ways a wonderful journey that I'm grateful for because I really had to get behind my own health and my own interests. But another thing is that in, in that particular situation, not not one practitioner ever asked me what I was eating other than the, the gut, the brat diet or whatever, you know, when the symptoms were there. And so I really went on my own journey and I realized that, you know, food can be involved in emotions and all these other things. Right. Well, and again, I'll say in fairness to the medical field, that nutrition actually is a very new science. Yeah. And it was not taught. I mean, it's really not. It's beginning to be introduced more, but in medicals. Yes. That's a disconnect, too. But kudos to you for doing your own research. <laughs> yeah. But of course, yeah, we wanted to feel better. So what, what eventually, um, you've sort of alluded to that, but motivated you to, to seek yet even more help because you've really yeah. been down a path with a lot of practitioners, it sounds like. Definitely. So it was actually, it was a course of events. Absolutely. I mean, when I would, I've, my personality itself actually really started to change because of these stomach issues. So whereas before I was like, oh, and, you know, I was actually kind of a kind of a wild child. So in high school, I would go out and I would drink with my friends and do crazy things and just be real wild. And I'm not saying that was a wonderful personality trait, but you can there was a part of me that was willing to like be out in life and experiment, have fun and party and like be a normal kid. And then as this all happened, I really lost the want to do anything. And so I kind of became a little bit reclusive again, because I was so afraid of being made fun of for the stomach problems or so afraid of being in a place where my stomach would act up. And so I really started to get more and more reclusive to the point where I didn't see the correlation back then, but I can see it now in hindsight that I even dropped out of college because it just was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And it was on my 21st birthday that I really decided I had to do something more about this because it's my 21st birthday. My parents had a huge party for me and I wanted to have a small glass of alcohol, you know, like a cocktail. And I was so afraid to drink it that I just held it in my hands all night so I wouldn't be embarrassed that I wasn't drinking on my 21st birthday or people asking me questions, but just, you know, held it in my hand because I was afraid to drink it. And that was, it was like, okay, I'm 21. Am I going to do 60 or 80 more years like this? Just being afraid of everything and being afraid to eat and just afraid to have fun. And so it was around that time that I asked my dad, who was a, who was a wonderful dad and a, a soft place to land. Um, we didn't, we were not an emotional family. So it wasn't a place where it was like open to talk about, you know, 
but I felt like my dad was a safe enough place where I could say, you know, I'm, I'm not really living my life and I'm not sure what to do about this stomach thing. And so my dad was like, okay, well, I'm going to ask around at work because he worked at a golf course where a lot of doctors and lawyers and nurses and people played golf and he worked there. And so he said, I'll ask around and I'll see like what we can do for you. And that is where I decided I got to get some help here. Right. And I, I can see how your 21st birthday, it's such a public event, right? It must have really hit you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Hard that, whoa, I'm standing here and I'm, I'm pretending that everything's okay. Absolutely. In front of all these people who adore you. Yeah. yeah and it's something significant about birthdays that it's like, it makes you, I think, in some ways, like, look at, look at the past, look at the future, look at the next turn of the spiral, so to speak. And so, yeah, to be standing there and have your whole life in front of you and then just be afraid to live it was sort of a uh, very sad, actually, wake-up call. Yeah. And especially since uh, 21st birthday, it's sort of, you know, a passage into adulthood. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. So before you met with the person who your dad found, so it sounds like you started to have some awareness of the mind-body connection because of your symptoms, uh, that, right? But did you, had you done research about that as well, like you did about the gut? I'm curious. No, the mind-body part really didn't come till later. I, I was aware that I was unhappy, but I wasn't aware of like why that might be or or I wasn't, I don't even think at that point, like aware that it was. So uh, fast forward on, I'll, I'll tell this part, you know, when my dad said, okay, I went to work, I asked a question, I told them what's going on with you. And he said that he spoke to a doctor and the doctor said, oh, she needs a licensed clinical social worker. What well, therapist is, a, is another term for that, but they specialize in certain things. And I was surprised to hear that, but I'm like, okay, you know, I'll do whatever it is. And so I went to this therapist and she was really interested in obviously in the mind. And I'm like, no, lady, I have stomach problems. Like this is not, I, I don't need therapy or whatever. Right. But she asked me some questions that were interesting. And, and I, I didn't, I felt uncomfortable with the questions in the moment, but in hindsight, I'm like, oh, she was so brilliant. The question that she asked me was, did you ever feel fear before you had stomach problems? And I was annoyed by that question because I'm like, well, what does that have to do with anything? But I, you know, eventually played along and I started to think about it. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I can see a lot of places in my life where I felt fear before the stomach problems. And I started to walk through with her some of the things and the anxieties and the fears that going, were going on in my life. And then she posed the question to me this way, and it still blows my mind to this day how profound it was. She said, well, maybe you don't have a stomach problem. Maybe you have a thinking problem. Do you feel overwhelmed with the thought of transforming your health? If the idea of creating a balanced diet, managing stress, and forming new sleep patterns stresses you out, don't worry, I am here to help. As an experienced integrative health coach, I can help you develop signature health strategies that work for your lifestyles and goals. After working with me, my clients have lost weight, improved their sleep, and reversed lifestyle diseases. I'm offering three free strategy sessions before the end of the month. Click the link in the description of this podcast 
book yours today. Well, you are so fortunate that you really, I think of how many people struggle with the symptoms that you experienced and how dis- how disruptive it is. And for her to just go right in for yeah, from the get-go, wow. And I mean, a little bit of it was over my head, Sarah, because I'm like, what do you mean maybe I don't have a stomach problem? I'm taking medication, I'm running to the bathroom. But yeah, so she started to unpack how every thought you think affects your nervous system to a certain extent. She didn't go a ton into it. She didn't go as deep as I know now with the work that I do, but she did invite me to start noticing my thoughts. And every time I thought a thought of anxiousness or what if, or to, to stop myself from thinking that thought. And she really taught me how to do that. And it was rigorous. It doesn't get in there overnight. So when you're trying to not think these thoughts, it takes time. But thankfully, she was such a good therapist. Her name was Stephanie. And she was such a good therapist that she told me it's going to it's going to be hard at first because you're going to think these anxious. What if this happens? What if that happens? Thought all the time. And so it might take you, and I think she said the number, it might take you 50,000 times a day to tell that thought to go away. And I was so grateful for her for that, for that teaching and that instruction because the first week or two was really rigorous because it almost got worse before it got better. Like now I'm noticing all these thoughts and it felt like whack-a-mole. You know, the thoughts just keep popping up and I'm trying to get them to stop. And so she told me to come up with a mantra and she said it can be anything that you want it to be. And whenever those thoughts pop up, you're just going to use your mantra. And my mantra was, I was like, what was I, 21 at the time. So, you know, still kind of have that teenage attitude. So my mantra, when a thought popped up that I thought was a worry thought, I would say, not even going to go there. (laughs) That was my mantra. So it wasn't like an affirmation or anything like that. It was just a stop thought. Like, nope, we're not thinking that thought. But but that's amazing. That's such a great mantra, though, Lauren, because it has a sense of humor in it. It's I mean, even though you must not have felt that way, I'm assuming at the time, and it was so rigorous. But to have it be so flip, like what? (laughs) No, you're not coming in here. Yeah, (laughs) and I think it's. I'm wondering too that when you start a practice like this, if it almost in some ways it seems to get worse before it gets better because of your noticing, right? It's like, what? You know, like, I think it's like it might have been felt worse than day one. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely felt worse for like the first couple of weeks because you're noticing it. And then in the noticing it, I think it just feels kind of heavy in a way. I remember, and you've heard this part of the story, but I remember I was driving my aunt back to Sonoma from San Francisco, which for those of you who are not California people, that's maybe an hour and a half, two hour drive. And I was trying to distract myself with this, not even going to go there, not even going to go there. And I just felt this level of despair, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to say this all day, every day. And I looked at um, my aunt and I just said, do you ever wonder what's the point of all of this? like life. And it was such a sad and existential thought that she gave me some coaching in that moment of like what she did in times of despair. But that was during those two first weeks of really trying to get rid of this worry thinking. And um, so I do think it gets worse before it gets better. And I think the reason for that, which I can share with you from my expertise now, because I'm in the business of thinking now and helping people with their thinking and their goal setting and all of that, is that 
in our subconscious mind, it's just a storehouse of every thought we've ever thought about, a movie we've watched, everything our parents told us, anything we've consumed from the media. So when you're working with a, a mind that we can't even yet, science can't really comprehend the power of the mind uh, yet. But what we know about the subconscious mind is that's where the conscious mind gets its thoughts from. And so all these things that have been buried in there, when you give it a trigger, like, oh, now I'm going to think positively, all of that's going to rise up. And that's why it gets worse before it gets better from the subconscious mind standpoint. But of course, I didn't know that at the time. I don't know if Stephanie knew that. I just felt like, oh, I'm glad she warned me about the 50,000 thing because this is really hard. <laughs> yeah. And it's good she put that extra zero. She didn't just say 5,000. She <laughs> Definitely. Oh my gosh. So, so in the end, what did you learn from this experience? So many things. Like, I wish we had 20 hours instead of an hour, you know, but I think the number one thing that I learned from this is came in the result of that. I had been struggling from pretty much age 14 to age 22. So, you've got like eight years. What is that? You know, eight years of suffering with the stomach. And I started to change my thinking. And in changing my thinking, I got a little bit bolder in some of the other things I did. And it's not just one thing, as you know, but that changing of the thinking and deciding for a different mindset led to the point where within six months, I didn't have a stomach problem. I mean, within six months, I was, you know, it's not to say like the irritable bowel never got triggered or there was never like, oh, I overate, there's a trigger. But I mean, like night and day results. I mean, even just my willingness to go out and do things. I remember one time, maybe I was like 23 or 24. So I've been healthy for a while. And I had been really afraid my whole life, as Stephanie pointed out, not just with the stomach, but the stomach just like, exacerbated all my fears and made me think that it was a stomach problem, not an anxiety problem. And I remember just a couple short years after working with Stephanie, you know, I was out on this speedboat, you know, on a lake and I'm on the boat and I'm eating and I'm having fun. And maybe to some people that doesn't seem like a big deal. But to me, it was like, I'm out doing something that I never would have done before because it terrified me because there's no bathroom on the boat because, you know, whatever it is. And now I'm out doing this thing. And so I think it's profound to know that like just a shift in starting to think differently about yourself and about your thoughts can lead to pr such profound outcomes. But the second learning that I had over time now doing the work that I do is I get to see it in my clients all the time, how they don't come to me because they want to obviously transform an illness or something like that most of the time. But sometimes that's the unintended consequence of doing some different things with the way they're thinking about the world and their nervous system and how they regulate and so I think the learning, and I'm thankful to Stephanie every day because that gave me the foundation for which I could be so rigorous with my thinking later when I was applying it to goals or dreams or changing careers or whatever, whatever the case was. Wow. But, but it sounds like, I mean, in six months time, though, you really were persistent and consistent. I have to have been. I did not give up. I, I think you. I got to the point, you know, Michael Beckwith is famous for saying, you either get pushed by the pain or you get pulled by a vision. And I think it just got so painful that I was, I was tired of it. 
I was just sick of myself. <laughs> you know, I was sick of being sick. I was sick of myself. I was sick of the story. And so when, when she gave me that real tangible tool, I just took it and ran with it. And I trusted her because she was so caring and nothing else had worked. I think that's why with this particular type of work with the thinking, and I, and I, I have this experience a lot with clients, and maybe you can relate to this, Sarah, is that a lot of times when we're not feeling well, we get so focused on someone outside of us fixing us that we kind of give our own power away unintentionally. Like not, we're not, nobody's consciously like, oh yeah, I'm giving my power away. I wasn't when I was young, but because we're looking for something else to fix us, we keep in that healing rut continuously until we step into our power and hire someone like Sarah, you know, or do something that helps us to gain back our own power of, I can have some, I can have some, what would you call it, agency in this process. Yeah. I think definitely with, with the clients that I see, you know, many people, they want a, just give me the meal plan, for example. Yeah. And I'll think, well, I don't know what the right meal plan is for you. I right. mean, and, and, and it does require, that's true, I think, for all types of healing. Yeah. You really have to know yourself or get in touch with yourself because yeah. we are, I know it sounds like such a cliche, but the more we discover um, on so many different levels uh, about just our bodies, we realize, oh my gosh, we're so unique. It's like... Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things that was powerful for me. So you start changing your thinking. It's not like you're just going to get empowered like your stomach he heals. You start changing your thinking and the way that you look at the world and the thoughts and all of that. And then you get higher frequency ideas on that wavelength. If you're on a worry wavelength, you get worry ideas. It's kind of like tuning your television to CNN and then being like, ah, oh, why do I feel so stressed? Because that's what I keep tuning to is the worry and, and the bad news and the stories. And so when I got my thinking on a higher vibration, I opened myself up actually to some natural supplements and things of that nature and other things that I wanted to try. I learned a lot about the pH levels in the body. Like I just got excited about learning about my body. But see, that couldn't happen when I was on that anxiety wavelength. I It happened when I started to get interested. And so I think that was a big, a big thing. But the other thing that I'll say about how our body symptomizes, and this is more on a spiritual level, so this may or may not land for some of your listeners, but what I find is that when we have a deep level of longing in our life or a deep level of discontent or dissatisfaction or a marriage is crumbling, we now know that the mind-body connection is huge and it's, it's in your nervous system and then it's going to go out and it's going to symptomize. So another example of how I saw this happen in my life is when I was married to my my former husband and we were having a lot of stress in our marriage, I had got high blood, high blood pressure. And I all of a sudden was going to the doctor and they're saying it's like 149 over, you know, 90. And like for a, for a, at that time I was 29, for a 29-year-old, you're like, this is terrifying. And I, I, probably should have known from the work I did with Stephanie. But the crazy thing was, is like once we got divorced and I started to get better and really like heal from that, my blood pressure the last time I went to get blood work done was like 100 over uh, 70. 
And so it's like, I don't know if this has come, this has come into my life so I could be a voice for this or what, but I've just had these experiences of really, and I'm thankful for them. I wouldn't trade them for the world because I think it was birthed into my life to show me this mind-body connection and help others with it. And although I don't do the body side of it, and I do, you're the body side of it, I'm the mind side of it. So we got a good partnership here, but you do the mind with your clients as well. And I think that, um, if we're not willing to look at things in our lives, like the things we're longing for, the things we want to do, the relationship strife, those kind of things, what's your nervous system going to do? I mean, it's going to get overloaded. And as I don't have to tell you, Sarah, that's where my my nervous system is living right in my gut and down the front of my body. And it's going to symptomize there. Right. I, yeah. And we know that, I mean, there's so much research now that so much evidence-based research that supports that. And and how obviously it it makes life much more enjoyable too if you're focusing on 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 health and what you want to do or need to do in order to create health. But it is interesting how we I think it's it's especially true of Western civilizations where we sort of see our body as I don't know like it's a machine as yeah. opposed to something that's more intimately related with higher power or whatever you want to call it, um, depending on your belief system, but, and of course your emotions and feelings, but in other cultures, there's not quite that same disconnect. Yes. I think that's beginning to change a lot. Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. I think society is starting to change because these conversations, I think 20 years ago, these conversations were like, what do you mean the mind-body connection? Or like, how could that? I mean, that's how I was when Stephanie said, maybe you don't have a stomach problem. Maybe you have a thinking problem. I'm like, what? (laughs) And I think that now through, you know, podcasts and media and books, we just have so, and research and medical journals. We just have so much more information that's becoming more common, which I'm so grateful for. Oh, but one thing that just popped into my brain is yet, on the other hand, decades ago, I was, I had a frozen shoulder and I had an orthopedic doctor told me it was called, uh, it was because I was a hysterical female. So that's, they did, there has been a bias towards linking emotions, female emotions in particular, with certain ailments or, for example, fibromyalgia. Oh, it's just in your head. I know. Right. Right. Say that too. So, well, that's the dangerous side of the spectrum. And that's why I love you, Sarah, for for telling your clients, I actually don't know what the exact prescribed diet is for you. And as you know, with my clients, I'll say, but I can't tell you what is you're going to love or what's the right move for you is that there is no one size fits all. So like with me, with thinking, I was ready in six months because that was my life's path. But with someone else, it might be a much more medical thing. And that's what their soul needs to do in this lifetime, in this journey. So there really isn't a one size fits all. I think that's why it's so important for people to have lots of information and ideas and... um Put the human and the being of the human at the center of it. Yeah. So if you, is it fair to say then if you hadn't had all, all these experience, these very uncomfortable, literally uncomfortable experiences and scary too, passing out and painful experiences, 
and including the high blood pressure, do you think you would have even gotten to the point in your life where you found it soul savvy? I definitely know. And I have chills thinking of it because I definitely know that I wouldn't have. I mean, every single thing that's happened in our life has led up to the moment that we're in now. And so I think that you you can only connect the dots looking backwards, as Steve Jobs said. It's very hard to connect them trying to look forward. But when I before I found it soul savvy and I was I didn't know I was going to get divorced yet, but it was in the in the days leading up to my husband leaving my former husband. I started to listen to this book and it was a book about a lot about thinking, but a lot about goal setting and things like that. And this gentleman talked about affirmations. It was actually John Azaroff in his book, The Answer. And he talked a lot about affirmations and affirmative statements and neural programming in the brain and all of that. And I thought, well, I can say affirmations. And I made some affirmations about marriage, which wasn't going well. And I made some affirmations about my, my side hustle that I had just you know, been trying to build. And I was so rigorous with saying those affirmations. I mean, I said them every day on the way to work. I said them every day on the way home. And then things in my life started to change, including my husband leaving and me starting Soul Savvy. And I didn't realize it until recently when I was teaching a workshop that, oh my gosh, how was I able to be so rigorous with those affirmations that led to me founding Soul Savvy and all that? It was Stephanie telling me, you got to say it 50,000 times. It's not going to work just after one time. And so all of it together, I can see so many places in my life where thinking and spirituality, to, to be honest, you know, thinking and spirituality together kept just showing up in my life in these, in these, I could say weird ways that I don't believe in accidents. So just kept showing up. And it's like when we listen to those nudges inside of us, we find uh, a different part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, thank goodness you did, because you served so you served so many people with your work, Lauren. Yes, and I wanted to be clear that, and I think Sarah and I covered this, but I wanted to be clear to everybody listening that, like I said, with the no one size fits all, you don't want to feel bad if you change your thinking and the health doesn't go or whatever. It's it's really about exploring what's seeking to emerge within you. So I found my path. I found my path of supplements and essential oils and uh, all sorts of things and thinking and this and that. But your thinking journey might lead you on a path to something different. And it's really about letting what's bubbling up in you as you get better be the guide. And then when you find those things, then you call someone like Sarah and say, hey, I've discovered this or you and I really want to work with you because I see this emerging for me. Whereas someone else might take a different path, it, that's okay. My path isn't going to be everybody's path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is so true. But I think the whole concept of exploring that, having a growth mindset and uh, being willing to explore and not knowing what the end result is going yeah. to be, as you are, always say, just taking one step at a time yeah. and having an idea of where, where you want to go. but but not knowing exactly what the path is. That does take us uh, a trust, right? And a faith that is so imperative. And it can be a lot of fun because you don't know. Exactly. Yeah, it is. It can be fun. Yeah. I think that for people who are not religious, if you hear the word faith, I think that's what we're talking about is that when Stephanie said, here's something you can try, 
I didn't have, a. I think the big thing for me, and same with when I was working with my affirmations, I didn't have attachments. For whatever reason, somehow I was competent enough to go, okay, I'm just going to try this and see how it goes. I didn't say like, if it doesn't work by seven days or why isn't it working or somehow I was just able and it was working with someone, which is why I think coaching is so important in therapy and those kind of things is I trusted in her experience. I trusted in her expertise. And that gave me the faith to keep trying out the tool. And so I think that where it can get, where it can actually be detrimental to our growth, our healing, whatever it is, is when I, when we try something and we're like, okay, by day two, I want to see this and this better happen. And oh, I haven't lost all the weight or, you know, that's when you're actually just triggering your nervous system all over again. And you're going to keep producing that same symptom. And I think that just my my ability to go, I'll just try it and see how it goes without a lot of attachments was part of why it went so fast for me both times. And also, I mean, I'm sure even though you say you had no attachments and it went so fast, but we also know that you had days where it didn't go so well. Oh, totally. You kept on, you know, so you keep on. You have to, you only learn from the failures. I mean, you have to have that. Oh, it was up and down, especially like I said, those first two weeks in particular. But, you know, it was really up and down in a lot of ways. And it still is up and down. It's not like, oh, I've got this positive thinking thing. Now it's just easy. It's like, no, absolutely not. It's rigorous. It takes heart. One of the things I used to tell myself, uh, and This is not a mindset tool I teach now, but it was something that I used back then is I would say to myself, I'm just going to quit for today. Meaning I'm going to do it again tomorrow, but I'm just going to quit for today. And that got me through because it's like, okay, there's three hours before bed. I'll just quit for today and I'll start again tomorrow. I think that's so important that you bring that up, Sarah, because even though I wasn't attached to how fast it had to go or what it had to look like, I there were a lot of downs and a lot of ups. And uh, that's true of any transformation. You know, sometimes I'll say to clients, the universe evolves through chaos. If you look at the Big Bang in itself, you know, if you look at any of that, it's chaotic. And it's if you look at a seed get planted in the ground, it literally destructs before it becomes the plant. Well, humans are like that, too. But for whatever reason, we resist that feeling of resistance or destruction when really it can be to our benefit if we just stick with it long enough. Right. Right. Yeah. We don't want discomfort of any kind <laughs> or see that as being, uh, uh, instead of having sort of the yin yang, you know, contact yeah. like, oh, that's bad. No, no, actually it's here to teach you something. This, if you had to go back 20 years and give yourself health advice, what, mm. what advice would you give yourself? Well, I mean, some of it would be listen, actually knowing that the body has wisdom. And it'll tell you. I mean, the reason the stomach starts to hurt or whatever is just giving you a signal. And the body has positive signals as well. You know, you start to get that warm, expansive feeling inside or you're doing something you love and you feel good, your body responds. And there's a large body of research, especially at Harvard, that talks about the effects of, you know, the positive thinking. And and when I say positive thinking, I don't mean Pollyanna. I don't mean faking it. I don't mean shoving down feelings. I just mean feeling the feeling, but going, okay, but this can get better too. You know, that kind of thinking. Harvard Medical School has shown that that kind of thinking, what it does with what your hormones do, what it does with the chemicals it produces in your body, what it does for your sleep versus stressful thinking, which we know produces cortisol and all that stuff. It's like your body responds. 
And so I wish back then that I had known more about the wisdom of my body and trusted it and not waited for someone or something to fix it for me. But I also wish I would have eaten less fast food and worn sunscreen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. But that sort of goes with being young, too. That fast pace of life. (laughs) Definitely. I also, you know, for me, just the wisdom of trusting the wisdom of alternative health practitioners and Western. I think there can be a, a, a yes and on that. And being willing to try some things. And um, for me, like plants, um, I used peppermint all the time and that really helped my stomach. I used different teas and things. I I just learned to this day, I'll, I'll use supplements that I just feel so good um, when I use them. And again, there's no one size fits all for that. So just that, that willingness to explore and that trusting of yourself that only you live in your body. Nobody can tell you what you're feeling, but you. Right. And there are so many different approaches too. Um, yeah. Whether it is, you know, drinking herbal teas or taking supplements or, or getting even body work, uh, mm-hmm. Reiki or massage or doing yoga yeah. and breath practices. Of course, we know there's been a lot of work done with that about how that really helps a lot of people so many different ways. Yes. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> of course. I mean, we could talk about breath. We could talk about anxiety. We could talk about so many different things here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I know that people can go to your listeners and go to your website, right? Soulsavvy.org slash power. Yes. So soulsavvy.org slash power is going to give you a list of my favorite affirmations that you can start to program into your brain. Knowing that, and I want to give a, a, a disclaimer on this, it might take 50,000 times. So we're not, trying, we're not trying to feel better the first time we say the affirmation. We're saying the affirmation to program our brain and the neural pathways within our brain to start thinking differently about ourselves and the world. And so you probably won't make, sometimes when you read an affirmation, you're like, oh, that's lovely. But sometimes you don't feel anything at first. And my encouragement would be when you get this list of affirmations to stick with it, stick with it, do a 30 day experiment and see what comes of it. And would you um, advise people to say all 30 or just choose one or two to practice? That's a great question. Um, I would I would say as many as you can memorize. So I can usually memorize a maximum of eight affirmations at a time. I would start with two or three and memorize them so that when you're in the car, when you're in the grocery store, you don't have to look for the list. They're just part of you now. And you can start saying that. And that's why the mantra worked so well, because I had it memorized and it was easy. And so, yeah, that's a great question. I would say go with, you know, maybe memorize three, keep repeating them throughout the day and then add more if you can. Well, that's a wonderful tip. Thank you so much, Lauren. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. My pleasure, Sarah. I just want to say I have such admiration and respect for what you're doing and who you are as a coach. And the way that you serve your clients and the way that you serve us all through this podcast. So thank you very much for all of it. Thank you. It's it's mutual, believe me. And I I put into practice many things that I've learned from you as well that have just made my coaching practice so much better. Ah, So I thank thank you. you. For over 25 years, I was a teacher. And one of my greatest joys in life is seeing people light up when they have an aha moment. It is pure magic. 
I've now combined teaching with my knowledge of health into live workshops. I teach throughout the country about gut health and how to transform your health. If you'd like to know when I'll be in your city, subscribe to my newsletter in the description of this podcast.